Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Draft Down 2021 podcast. My name is Jackson King. My name is Addictive Blockman. And in this week's episode, uh, in preparation for the draft, uh, which is only three weeks away, we will be looking at the top 10 picks in the draft and going through them and making our predictions. Uh, we, we like to make our first round predictions before the draft. Last year, uh, we stupidly made our predictions on one draft, one episode, and it took forever. So we're going to try and uh, do it all in separate podcasts and try and like really in that, analyze what we're doing, not just give each pick, I feel like, five seconds like we did last time. Well, uh, how, how is, uh, you know, how excited are you? We're only a couple weeks away from the draft. It feels good, you know, draft season's de- <laughs> I, I, in a very literal sense, definitely not joking whatsoever. Definitely. The draft, whole draft weekend are my favorite three days of the year. So the fact that we're mm, about 25 days from it, you know, it's a good time. It's a good time. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm sure normally this would be a great time to, I would say go to Cleveland, but Cleveland would be really popping this time of year. But, you know, I'm sure people no, are. It's so- nice for them to finally be good at something. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it would be great because I went down for the, when the Dallas hosted, I went to that draft down. I didn't go to the actual, uh, draft inside the stadium i just went for the celebration but it was still really fun uh but i can't imagine a lot of people are going this year to cleveland because of still everything that's going on yeah i i also went down to that draft in dallas well that has been about three years uh we so, got, yeah we were i went the first two days we were able to get inside the draft theater that second day but i think just kind of chilling outside the stadium was cool because they had a lot of stuff to do so yeah. Oh, it was really fun. Well, I also remember just them prodding out Brian Switzer as like the cowboy, and then the next day he got traded. Yeah, <laughs> which is that just, was really odd. I, I get it; it's a business, and you you don't know who's going to get traded until the trade offer comes in. But it was it was a very awkward situation. I remember because I can imagine a lot of people like me were like, "Oh, I got an interview from a cowboy," and then two days later he was a Stealer. Mm-hmm. Uh, Raider, I think, because yeah, he yeah, Raider, and then he went Steeler and Brown. I, I, I wish for him. He he just wasn't as good as his fifth round draft grade. So uh, let's start off at the top of the draft, uh, picking number one, the Jacksonville Jaguars. I'm sure everyone's going to get one the top pick right, but uh, where do you see it? Exactly. No, it's Trevor. <laughs> So I, I guess the question is, you know, everyone pegs it to be Trevor Lawrence, the quarterback out of Clemson. He's was so good his entire career. Uh, and really, I think only got better over, especially over his sophomore and junior year. Uh, is there any chance in the world that this is Zach Wilson or any of the other quarterbacks? Or do you think like you can lock it in Trevor Lawrence, even even because he, he's dealing with an injury, right? Yes, he tore his labrum and he had surgery for it in February. However, as someone who's also torn that labrum and very recently had surgery, the recovery time is six months. And I imagine, uh, at least in his physio, um, he does physical therapy. It'll be a lot of uh, football driven stuff. So he should definitely be ready by training camp to go with contact. Um, I have no reason to believe just on tools alone, and tools and athletic ability alone, that Lawrence uh, isn't the pick. 
he also has shown progressed as like mentally uh his processing is good understands uh now so i guess clemson kind of makes it easier on him by doing a lot of split field reads so all the fields will be focused on one side and then he'll like one backside read mm-hmm. so in that sense that's something he'll have to evolve at the next level but he pretty clearly showed the ability over three years to be uh smart with uh smart with who he went to and then on top of that used his athletic ability like good arm strength uh good mobility to uh you know get to move the ball forward so i have a hard time believing just on uh tools alone that jacksonville would go anywhere else is there a huge gap you think between lawrence and let's like we've been saying wilson as that number two quarterback do you think that gap is pretty huge between lawrence and the second best quarterback in this draft class not really I, the Fields is an incredible quarterback. Okay. Even if you have it as Zach Wilson, Zach Wilson has good, um, has good athleticism. Obviously, good arm strength. Uh, Fields and Wilson likely will acclimate to an NFL offense better because of the stuff that they ran at their respective schools. But when you're talking just about athletic traits, it's pretty clear. That even though those two guys have really are really good athletic ability, that uh, Lawrence is just kind of in that elite tier, if you will. Uh-huh. It, it, where would you compare like what his status is at the number one quarterback? Because like when I think of it, I think of like a situation like Andrew Luck, where it's like not that he's Andrew Luck caliber coming out of college necessarily, but that like it's clear that like if you get the number one pick, you have to go for this guy. I think at quarterback, Luck has to be the most recent example because that was 2012, I think. Because even whenever Cam Newton got drafted, well, I guess Cam Newton was also the year before, but whenever Cam Newton got drafted the year before and had that incredible season, I don't think he was still had the hype of Luck. No, a lot of people were saying Von Miller should have gotten drafted. Like, obviously, quarterbacks proceed. Yeah, quarterbacks first before good pass rushers, but even then. Uh I think Jameis Winston was highly touted, but I think there was also pretty significant off-field baggage with him. And I know for a fact that he wasn't, he didn't have the athletic ability of luck coming out. And yeah, so what kind of a, how do you think, you know, we're seeing that uh, Jacksonville team, you know, head coached by Urban Meyer, I believe offense coordinator Darren Rov- Royal or Rovell. Uh, no, definitely not Darren Rovell. Uh, Daryl Bevel and Daryl Bevel are their co-seas and passing coordinators. Yeah. Yes. So, uh, what kind of an offense should we see Trevor Lawrence in, and do you think that's going to suit what his skill set? Okay. So the understanding is that they're going to bring a lot of spread stuff from, uh, like Ohio State. So that'd be a lot of. Uh, zone running, built-in option looks, um, a lot of mesh concept stuff, a lot of individual, uh, you spread the field run option routes with receivers depending on what the coverage is. But because it's Schottenheimer and Bevel, you can expect, and with Lawrence having the arm strength that he does, you can expect a lot of other vertical routes, uh, vertical route combinations. So maybe whenever you're looking at option routes, you might see like a, um, you might see like your slot receiver run, uh, run a post instead of a go because it's a cover two, so they can occupy that middle of the field. Or 
uh, likely on the outside it's covered three uh, instead of running uh, instead of running a corner or like a go you switch into a comeback because uh, manipulating the blind spot so it's very you can I should you can definitely see a lot of modern day offense or you should expect a lot of modern day offense in what you see in approach but it's very possible that uh, the way they run is a little bit different and uh, um, I guess more discretion to the receiver. Yeah. How do you think Lawrence will succeed in that offense? Obviously, he's got some really good pieces around him, whether you look at like DJ Chark, James Robinson, the running back, some pretty decent offensive linemen. You know, we, we've seen over the years quarterbacks may sometimes start off really strong or take a few years to get really used to the NFL. How do you think Lawrence will do in that Jaguars offense? It's tricky, I think. He'll be relatively smooth sailing his rookie season. But I think you'll notice an even bigger thing in production his sophomore year. The sophomore slump? No, uh, opposite. Oh, yeah. okay. Sorry. Yeah. So you'll see you'll see him like really start to turn into a really good pro his sophomore year? Yeah, that's what I would think so. Okay. Uh, especially help if, you know, the one thing I've said about offensive coordinators is it's hard to necessarily judge them as a coach because so much about them is how good their players are around them. So I know a lot of people criticize like Schottenheimer and Bevel, but if Lawrence and those teams can be good enough, it may not even matter. Look, it's funny because for a good half of the last year, Schottenheimer was seen as a legitimate uh, head coaching candidate because of what he was doing in Seattle. But whenever teams started to attack their offensive line and Russell Wilson just refused to check down, the offense started stalling. So what are you going to do about it? Sure. So, yeah, for all those reasons, you know, they need a quarterback. Lawrence being, again, probably the best quarterback coming out of college since uh, Andrew Luck. And, you know, just looking at that division, especially if Deshaun Watson, with Deshaun Watson's situation, you can come in and be the best quarterback in that division near the top, like near the beginning, I think could be really good for Jacksonville. So yeah, I'll give Jacksonville Lawrence. I think that's, you can lock that in. Uh, another pick that's kind of a lock in, but still uh, a lot of people questioning it. Uh, what do you think the Jets are going to do at uh, number two? I get the very real sense that it's Zach Wilson. Okay. So, I guess similar question to what we asked about Lawrence, because I've heard the same things. What would it take for Zach Wilson to not be the quarterback at two? Would it be it, like would it be another quarterback? Would it be another alignment? What would be the what would be the thing that keeps them away from Zach Wilson? Because I've heard that argument too. I think it's very clear that New York has said I'm going with a quarterback. We get the sense that it's Zach Wilson because Robert Sala and uh I think Mike LaFleur were at his pro day. And so we also didn't see them at Justin Fields Pro Day. And we also, I think, kind of understood that they were going Zach Wilson whenever the San Francisco 49ers traded up with uh, Miami to go and uh, get that third pick. So it, if there was a reason it wouldn't be Zach Wilson, it would be because of a quarterback. Okay, like so Fields. Yeah, so it would not be they decide to go Panay Sewell instead. It would be, we like this quarterback over this quarterback. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, they realize where they are as a team. They have solid pieces everywhere. 
Except uh, wide receiver even got better too. For them, I almost certain there would be no value in starting your franchise essentially from the ground up with the new coaching staff to go and get a right tackle when there are three really good quarterbacks on the board. Okay. So everyone's leading Zach Wilson. Who is the of the quarterbacks, I guess, if we're going to go with the idea that it's going to be a quarterback at two, who's the dark horse candidate to be selected at two? Because I do think, you know, as much as we pencil in Lawrence to the Jags, I'm not in 100%. Like, I don't think it's 100% right now that that is Zach Wilson to the Jets right now. It'd have to be Justin Fields. Justin Fields? Okay. Well, what about Justin Fields? Do you think, does he do better than Zach Wilson? What's that mentality? He's definitely more accurate in, in just all areas of the field. Like, this has been proven analytically. Um, I know Zach Wilson took a lot more deep, probably took a lot more deep shots, but even in Fields' volume, which isn't necessarily limited at all, he's just been accurate. And that offense, which is the Shanahan offense with a lot of heavier personnel, uh, outside zone runs built off to play action. So that way it gets a lot of people running a medium, um, medium crossers and such. The, those offenses tend to be the most QB friendly offenses. And so either way, go Fields or Wilson, you have plus athletic ability. So that way they can kind of make plays on the move. And, uh, now this is the interesting case where, Wilson would break contain of the pocket a lot more in college than Fields did. So that might be why they lean towards Wilson. But if you could still very easily teach in a very strange circumstance, you could very easily teach Fields to start using his legs to break contain of the pocket more often. So that way he doesn't take these like really hard hits that he suffers in big games. So is that, that, Breaking out of the pocket, is that something you want to see a lot of out of the Shanahan offense? You will see it naturally because they do a lot of play-action rollouts and uh, just bootlegs. Okay. so But, like, that's the thing they're looking for in the Shanahan offense, that ability to. Not necessarily, like, it is sense, yeah, yeah, I think they do value footwork and all of that. Yeah. Which, right now, I think Wilson's footwork would carry over from BYU better than Fields is from Ohio State. But that mobility, understanding how to, you know, plant and throw or moving on the run, that's something that I know they would like. And that's why both quarterbacks are intriguing for that reason. So looking at the Jets right now, if they get Zach Wilson, you know, they're in a situation where (laughs) they're essentially restarting from where they were three years ago when they got uh, Sam Darnold in the first round. Uh, I, I saw that clip online of comparing a, sh- a throw from Zach Wilson's pro day that everyone was giving him props to, to a very similar throws, uh, same Darnold made last year with the Jets. Talk about that transition from Darnold to Wilson and what we sh- like, how the current staff makes sure that Wilson doesn't end up very similar to what Darnold ended up. The thing was, I am a much bigger fan of Wilson than I was of Darnold. Darnold was my QB four, I think, in that class. And really, did you have Rosen and Allen above him? I had Rosen Mayfield as like my tight at QB one. I had Lamar at QB three, and then uh, oh, really? 
You had Allen QB five. Yeah, Allen was five. I was a lot higher on Lamar, I guess, than people were. But the thing with Allen was you just weren't sure if the accuracy would translate, even though he was so much fun to watch. But uh, fortunately, it has because we get to see good, good. Uh, yeah. Like, but uh, in this day and age, you just have to have a good feel for your offense. Now he has he was in the Adam Gase offense for two years. That doesn't necessarily sound great. However, there have been quarterbacks who have been moderately successful in Adam Gase's offense. So you still have to recognize that. Look at all the bad habits that Darnold had coming out of college and see that he hasn't really refined them in any way. And and then look at Zach Wilson, who overall is a more complete prospect. Um, has similar issues where he likes to bail out of the pocket too quickly, but his accuracy is his decision making for the most part is better. And now you have a coaching staff that's likely going to do their best to provide resources around him, which they've already done by signing Corey Davis. So I think as it is, Douglas understands what it's going to take in order to at least set up your quarterback to be successful because he did it for two years in Philly with Wentz. So, so yeah, you think that Wilson will have this infrastructure that Darnold didn't? Because yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I do think that I do think that I just also think Wilson's just the better prospect. So, if and, just... and in fairness, I also think that what um, the I, the Matt Lafleur, the Mike Lafleur off. No, Matt Lafleur, Mike Lafleur, right? It's Mike Lafleur. Right? Yeah, the Mike Lafleur offense, the Shanahan offense, is probably better suited to what his skill style is than Darnold to his first year, and then what we saw from Gase's offense. I also think it'll help rookies transition better because it's a like it. It's more run style offense, or at least more centered on getting results from the run. Uh, yeah, I mean, right now I think it's a toss-up between what quarterback you like between Wilson, Fields, and Lance at that number two spot. I mean, if you're the Jets, if you if you think Wilson's the guy, you know, it's it's you got to get him. I just think it's going to be a very interesting debate between uh, what's going to happen with Darnold and overall that situation in New York. By the way, and not saying that they're not right in saying to dump Darnold. I just think it's still going to be a sticky situation because you did waste a number three pick on him and traded, I believe, two seconds to get him last two, three years ago. It's uh... Actually, though, to be fair, they traded up. They were hoping Baker Mayfield fell to pick number three. There was a good indication Baker Mayfield would fall to number three. And then as that week happened, some reports of John Dorsey really liking Baker Mayfield started to show up. So I think that's kind of what happened because we're almost certain. Uh, I think it's, it was pretty clear that Baker Mayfield was the guy that they were cover, uh, coveting at pick number three. So I guess in that sense, though, do you not blame a team for trading up too early? Because to just secure it because you really don't know what it's going to cost later down the road to move up that much because they were at six right 
Yeah, well, let me popped in and been like, oh, you know what? We're gonna move up to three, and we might give you like a like Arizona, for example, could have jumped up from fifteen instead of fifteen to ten, could have done fifteen to three, given a package similar to what San Francisco gave, gave this year. And Chris Ballard's like, you know what? I'm ready. Let's do it. Yeah, I don't know. My 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 thought process is it's like that you got to be like the a lot of NBA trades where it's like if the guy gets to him, then we'll enact this trade. But yeah, I, I mean. It's just tough because you see when those situations don't work out, and then. But also look at it this way, right? Whatever teams build their boards, they have a certain they. Have, it's so clear to them what prospects are at the top of their board. Yeah. If they feel, okay, this prospect will get to us, and he's the highest player on the board. If the guy below him is still in the same tier as that guy, then it makes sense to trade up because the contingency plan seems to fall in line with what you believe. So that's why, in that sense, even though. They likely got their. They did get their uh, second place, uh, second place consolation prize, if you will. It was still a risk that they were willing to take because whenever they watched, reviewed Darn or evaluated Darnold, it made sense for them. So yeah, uh, it's a tough situation, but yeah, hopefully Wilson has a better shot in this offense and in this team than uh, Darnold had three years ago. Uh, speaking of trades, the team that traded up from. <laughs> 12 to go up to three, uh, the San Francisco 49ers are now uh, looking at a quarterback at number three. A lot of discussion this week on who that is going to be, whether that's uh, Trey Lance, whether that's Justin Fields, whether that's Mac Jones. We're mainly going to focus on guys who we think are going to get drafted, not who should get drafted, but we, I think we both agree that in, in this pick, San Francisco probably, if we were the GM, should take Trey Lance, right? It's tricky. I If I were the GM – okay, so Lance is often the North, uh, North Dakota tr- uh, state really translated to whatever Shanahan is doing right, right now in San Francisco. So parallel-wise, it makes sense for him to go there. However – Proven production, um, experience, all of that is in favor of Fields, which I think San Francisco is going to draft to pick number three. You oh, say so you're pro- not not who you think they should project. You are projecting that they are going to pick Fields at three. That is correct. Okay, give me your reason because he is honestly of the guys I've heard, he is the last guy I've heard taken at that pick number three. So yeah, this week the. Betting odds kind of moved in favor of Mac Jones becoming the third overall pick. Yeah. And people talk about, you know, his intellect, his processing and all that. And, like, I would definitely definitely verify he's a intellectually sound quarterback. Uh, the arm strength is definitely not <laughs> where Fields or Lance are. At ball placement is solid, not great. Um but in that offense, he should have a lot of very open targets to pass to in any sense. So it's not like he needs to be like spot on, you know, spot on with his ball placement every single time because they just don't have uh, adjusting ability. But and even with those two of Shanahan and Lynch going to uh, Jones's pro day over um, Fields. It's the message sounds like they want Jones, but Shanahan has worked with Justin Fields in the past at different quarterback camps. 
he's gotten to experience uh, what Justin Fields is as a person and what he is as a football player at these events. He likely went to Mac Jones's pro day just to get familiarity of him. But having seen the things he said about how he would value a quarterback with mobility just because it's the direction the league is going in gives me the reason to believe that this whole Max Jones bit is really just a giant smokescreen and that they're going with Fields at pick number three. You see, it's for those reasons that I think it's Trey Lance. I agree with you. I think either way, it yeah. makes sense. It's yeah. just the guys who we think project better yeah. enough. Well, here, here's the reason, I think. And, it's, and I think it all comes down to the team itself and what they want to do going forward. So I agree with you that I think this whole Mac Jones thing is a huge smokescreen. I think it makes a lot of sense, like schematic-wise, that they would want to go Mac Jones in the Shanahan offense. But I think... Again, I point to I don't think you trade up from twelve to three if you're if your guy you're centering on is Mac Jones. I think you I think you look at smaller trades up or maybe you know trading on draft day if he falls down to you. Because again, you're San Francisco and you're a team that has Jimmy Garoppolo, and I don't necessarily think that Garoppolo to Jones is much of a difference maker schematic wise. Now maybe that's the, the thing they're looking for. Maybe that's the thing the reason they want to go with. Mac Jones. But to me, you look at Fields and Lance, I think both are really much better quarterbacks prospect-wise. Uh, I think both provide really good things in the Shanahan offense. I think both have mobility. The reason I'm going with Trey Lance is entirely because I believe it when San Francisco says they don't want to trade Garoppolo. I think they're going to try and give Garoppolo one more year to make the playoffs, maybe go on a late playoff run, and then next season decide what Garoppolo's future is in San Francisco. I think of the two prospects, I think Trey Lance is the better developmental prospect where you give him a year or two and then he becomes a – because I think he's got a lot of rock talent, but I don't think the tools are fully there yet. I think a year under Garoppolo would make him a very, very good prospect. So, yeah, I think the three is the first pick I think we're, we're going to disagree and where I think mock drafts will disagree – I think Mac Jones is a trap. I think Mac Jones is a smokescreen. I personally, if I'm looking at San Francisco board, I'm going Trey Lance here. So yeah, that's that's where I think I think we disagree on that. I don't I don't think Justin Fields is a bad pick. In fact, I would say I think your points are very valid, but I think the fact that they do want to keep Garoppolo tells me that they're leaning towards a raw prospect like Trey Lance. Sorry, he's eating. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So uh, I think we both disagree, but we'll go on to four. Uh, by the way, you do want to lock in fields to San Francisco, right? Right, right. Okay. So then we have the Atlanta Falcons. This is, I think, the first time, the first like interesting pick because they could go in like five different directions. Um, where do you think the Falcons go in this draft? So because I give Fields at three, it'd be very convenient for me to give Lance at four. And I think it is something that Tayfont, Noah, and Arthur Smith are looking at 
because they're kind of strapped to Ryan for at least one more year, if not two. And if they want to go a different direction with the franchise, then it would make sense to have someone like Trey Lance to carry out that offense, which is uh, another version of Shanahan's offense, but consistently uses heavier personnel. So, um, it for me at this point, it's between Kyle Pitts and Lance. It's really just what they feel they value more in the long run. And I would get the sense that it'd have to be a quarterback just because quarterback is a more important position, even though, you know, Pitts is an excellent talent. So I guess lock in Lance at four. Hey, Lance at four. Wow. So you're going four quarterbacks in the top four picks. That's uh, this, that has that ever been done before? Uh, definitely not something I can think of off the top. Yeah, that's that's I mean, this is again also been a very needy quarterback class and a very good quarterback class. But talk to talk to me about I, I, I think it's very similar to what I said in San Francisco, but you think Trey Lance is going to be the developmental, the, the Patrick Mahomes in uh, Atlanta? I think timeline wise, it makes sense too. Uh, you know, Shanahan would want someone as talented as. Uh, Fields is, and just because he's done it so consistently for uh, now two years, he'd probably see that as uh, like he'd probably see that as like proven production, proven talent, all that. With Lance, now you get he only had one true full season of college football. He likely could use a year at the professional level. I think San Francisco is in a better place to contend than uh, Atlanta is right now. So even if they felt like Jimmy G was playing subpar, uh, was playing subpar like midseason, you put in fields and you likely see some success come his way. With Lance, it's you're probably gonna have to let him sit out a year. So, even though I keep hearing good things about his uh, uh, mental processing, which I have no reason to not believe, but I think timeline-wise and how that team will look in about three years, I think it just makes sense for them to go with Lance. Yeah. Uh... I, I do think if Lance is there, Atlanta would give him a lot of looks. Um, I don't think Fields makes a lot of sense to Atlanta, which is why in my board I don't have them going quarterback. Uh, to me, it's between the top pass catcher. Uh, to me, that's Pitts. And the best offensive lineman, to me, that's Panay Sewell. And to me, and I, I think his pro day really proved it, I think Panay Sewell is going to be a – transformative tackle. I think he could be, I guess he would be the best tackle prospect since Jake Long. I would say Joko, but Joko was just, we don't need to talk about that. Um, I think Panaiso is very, very good. And I think you put him in that Atlanta team. A, you extend Matt Ryan if you do want to go past this year and you give whoever their future quarterback is a good protector. Uh, Kyle Pitts obviously showed what he can do at Florida. 
and what he showed in his pro day. I think their offensive line is the most important thing they need to fix, and so I'm going to go Kanai Sewell here. Uh, yeah, I think he'd be right tackle this year probably, and then I think they still have Jake Matthews, and then but Jake Matthews will not be great going forward. So I think yeah, you 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 worry about him going yeah. I think I think Panay Sewell is the right pick. I'm gonna get behind that. I just don't think the Bengals will be particularly happy about that. No, the Bengals. The, the one thing I'll say about Atlanta is, and again, we're we're going essentially a no trade mock draft. Uh, I think Atlanta is a huge trade spot, both for a fourth quarterback, both for Sewell, both for one of these wide receivers. Uh, I just part of me thinks that Atlanta especially because they have so many holes on their team would be a perfect spot to like trade down five picks. But if we had to go just, I think their best player available would be Panay Sewell. And honestly, Kyle Pitts wouldn't be a bad selection there, but I also think that they wouldn't necessarily go tight end at this point, especially with the Arthur Smith offense or whatever. Yeah. So then we go to Cincinnati and, uh, I'm sure I think you know where you're going. <laughs> yep. Uh, best offensive lineman on the board is Penny Sewell. Okay. Uh, you're not going to see me trying to force Jamar Chase there um, because <clears throat> T. Higgins and Jamar Chase uh, win the same way, But and I would just hate for Joe Burrow to once again get injured because that uh, offensive line just cannot protect him consistently. I think Penny Sewell and uh, Jonah Williams would just be a fun, you know, tackle duo if, uh, you know, they can iron out everything that comes from just general, uh, you know, offensive line chemistry. So, yeah, I think. And, that- and the good thing there is you could also slide in Jonah Williams to guard if you want to start Riley Reef a tackle. You know, I, I think that offensive line is still a little bit in flux where you can do whatever you want to do with the Bengals. It's not set in stone. So, yeah, I think, again, it's the similar situation with Lance where I hadn't picked one pick earlier where I don't yeah, – Cincinnati's kicking themselves that they can't get him there. Uh, to me, it's between uh, the best offensive lineman on the board, that being for me, Rashawn Slater, and – probably Kyle Pitts or uh, Jamar Chase. Honestly, part of me wants to say Kyle Pitts just because I think you put Kyle Pitts and Joe Burrow in that offense. I think it's scary, but I also know that that's not necessarily what the, uh, the Rams style, the offense likes to do. I do think they need to have a lot of holes on that offensive line that aren't settled yet. So I think they settle for Slater. I think he's a, a good pick at five still, but yeah, I think they're really kicking themselves to the good. I think Pitts would be just fine for that Shanahan because it's not like he's a bad blocker. And then once he, once he, uh, he can definitely get off of uh, scoop blocks and uh, just uh, rubs a lot better than other tight ends. No, I think Pitts would be a fine target for, a Shanahan offense because he's not a bad blocker. He can line up as your Y or even as an H back. Whenever he he's a lot faster getting off of blocks than other tight ends. He can get you know cover ground and open space. And then after the catch, he's also a really solid 
um, yard getter, which is something that we've really learned the offense really stresses. So I've, I guess I'm just saying that if Pitts is a very, very uh, possible target at five, just because of, just because of the offense alone. But okay, so question though, like if you were on, if you were Cincinnati and you had your choice between, and again, it doesn't really matter. But if you were between the best offensive lineman Chase and Pitts, where would you go? Because obviously you got lucked into Sewell. <laughs> I guess I'm just tired of Joe Burrow getting hit, so I'd go Sewell. But I think the person that makes the biggest impact would definitely be Pitts. Yeah, I think it's a toss-up. And again, I think that's a slot where you could see if I think what's going to happen and Sewell gets picked fourth, I do think it could go Pitts. But I think they do need to fix that offensive line really badly, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go Slater. It's, it's a tough choice, but I think it's one that, that Mike Brown <laughs> up front office would pick. So going from Cincinnati to a team that just has is trying to fix all their assets, uh, we got the Miami Dolphins at six. You know, traded down from three, got an extra first-round pick for it. They're a team that is looking at wide receiver at this point, and they get the best wideout option on the board. Where do you have them going? Kyle Pitts, baby. Okay. Uh, Tight end, uh, huge ch- uh, playmaker. Do you think they could use him like a Jimmy Graham in their offense? I don't really know how they're going to use him, but the, after the way they used Mike Gusecki last year, I have all the faith that they can get something out of another good playmaking tight end. Um, yeah, I think him and Gusecki next to each other could be scary. <laughs> it's Okay, the issue is it's one of those things. Tua did not really have a good report with Devontae Parker or um, – or, uh, What's his face? Uh, Preston Williams last year because both of them are the same type of receiver and those are receivers that he just didn't have familiarity throwing to in college. So in a vacuum, someone like Waddle or Smith makes sense at six because of uh, not only familiarity with him throwing to, but just the way that they generate separation. It's a lot easier for uh, Tua to get passes off to him. However, Brian Flores pretty clearly likes uh, Kyle Pitts. Kyle Pitts is also incredibly athletic. So if he also if he can find ways to separate in the short and intermediate areas, like how uh, Smith and uh, Smith and Waddle do, this pick is a win because that's what this team needed badly. Because Gisecki's able to do it. Now you have another matchup nightmare with Pitts. You have at least two players. Tua can consistently get the ball to and off of like play action uh, from heavy sets. So, yeah, I'm going to be honest. I, I, I don't think Kyle Pitts is necessarily the picture. I get that Brian, maybe if, you know, if one of their wide receiver options is taken earlier, but to me, Kyle Pitts is such a great dynamic playmaker, but he doesn't fit. I think they really are going to work at getting their wide receiver core. I have uh, Smith, the wide receiver out of Alabama. I think I think that familiarity with um, Tua is a really good thing. I think that his playmaking ability is something that the Dolphins definitely need going forward. Uh, I think he his explosiveness is something they they 
really only seen in flashes from someone like Devontae Parker. And I think they're going to want to really see going forward. Uh, I just, I, I think it's a toss up really between Smith and Pitts, but I think his explosiveness is what gives me Smith the edge. Though it is, again, I think it's similar to the Slater uh, Pitts decision. It's very close. But yeah, it's. It, I mean, I'd, I love your thoughts on that pick, but uh, I don't know. It, I, I I don't think. I just don't think it's happening. <laughs> I just don't think it's gonna happen. No, uh, I mean, I, again, I think Pitts had maybe the best pro day per like like prospect, but yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people are gonna... at least testing wise for sure. Yes. Yeah. I mean, Micah Parsons, I think, was very good, too. But yeah. uh, So going from the AFC East to the NFC North, we have the Detroit Lions at seven. Oh, boy. This Detroit team probably needs, like, 17 different things. Uh, they're, they're, to me, like the Falcons in that this is a trade-down scenario to me. But if they do keep the pick and they're forced to keep it, what do you think they do? Okay, let's do some history. Let's do a history lesson here. Okay, not really history. What just happened recently? The Kenny Galladay got signed to the Giants. Okay, mm-hmm. who did the Lions bring in to be their offensive coordinator? Anthony Lynn. Who are the type of receivers that Anthony Lynn had in uh, L.A.? Mike Williams, uh, Keenan Allen, Jalen Guyton. Uh, oh my God, I'm forgetting. Um, Okay, uh, let me pull up Detroit as well. I'm going to figure this out right now. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Tyron Johnson, Jalen Guyton, and... Uh, Tyrell Williams? Wasn't he a Tyrell Williams when he was there? Uh, Tyrell Williams was there as well. Um, so there's definitely a, <coughs> a lot of speed guys or just guys that have the play speed to get vertical and kind of maximize uh maximize uh technically i guess it'd be maximize uh yards per catch um so who do detroit have now tyrell williams brashad perryman um quintus cephas and like damian ratley so you can see that there's a lot of the same uh he, the direction with how he wants to align this offense is so clear. He's just <laughs> getting guys who can kind of beat you deep. See if this is a good option that can kind of win in uh, shorter areas. Tyrell Williams has proven to be a pretty legit deep intermediate deep threat. And Brashad Perryman is generally a deep threat. I don't know if he was particularly productive the last time he played. I don't think it was last year. Um, let's see. About 30 receptions, 505 yards, 16, 16, about 17 yards. Okay. Huh. This team could really use someone in the slot because their slot receiver right now is Khalif Raymond, who, like, I guess works, but you can – he's a fast guy, but he's not super physical and uh, probably isn't a good fit to be a slot. Probably should be, like, a reserve Z. So – uh, I'm not necessarily trying to 
peg someone to fit that spot, but you do have, or at least at least on my board, um, all three of them, Chase, Smith, and Waddle are there. I guess in this instance, the change of pace would be Smith, but it just feels so likely that they go Waddle because you can play Waddle in the slot, which was what he did last year. Yeah. Are you, you going to go Waddle? Yeah, let's go Waddle at seven. And sound the alarm. We have another, we have another agreement. First agreement since okay. the second pick. Yeah, uh, I think, uh, like, since I took Smith, first of all, I think if Smith and Waddle are there, I definitely think they pick Smith because of his upside more. But um, because on my board, uh, Smith was already taken. I think between Waddle and Chase, I think Waddle is definitely the better fit in terms of a slot receiver, in terms of what he provides. Uh, yeah, uh, the only other guy near the top of my board in that sense is Kyle Pitts, and I, they definitely aren't going to draft a tight end that high. Uh, so, yeah, I think Waddle comes in. He probably starts slow a little bit with, you know, new offense, Jared Goff. But, yeah, I think the, the, the Lions pick the speedy Waddle. If it was between Waddle and Chase, you'd think it'd definitely be Waddle, right? Uh, oh, yeah. I don't think Chase, even though he tested incredibly well, I don't think. I just don't think he fits that spot well. His play speed matches what they want. Yeah, I like Chase in the slot. Whenever he played in the slot, I thought he was actually a lot better than I would have expected. Um, it makes sense, and I think if you were to go Chase, you get the versatility of being able to move Perryman inside, and then having like uh, you know bunching up uh, Perryman and Chase on the same side. I just think, considering how tall Ty uh, Tyrell and Brashad are, and even like Cephas too. Um, Waddle is just a different, just a different. I also think Waddle has just better potential that I think Detroit will fall in love with. Like, I think Chase is very good, but I would consider Chase the more pro prospect right now and Waddle the more potential prospect, if that makes any sense. Oh, no, I, yeah, I think Waddle had is just oozing with potential, yeah. Uh, more than Smith. And yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that offense. I think, I think they could see Waddle like, uh, L.A. saw Mike Williams a few years ago. Uh, going down south, Carolina. Are you going to go Mac Jones at eight? Are you going to go five quarterbacks in the top eight? Because you have, just to recap, you have Lawrence going one, Wilson going two, Fields going three, and Lance going four. Not really a defensive tackle, uh, not really an edge, unless for whatever reason they feel Jalen Phillips is just like perfect medically. Uh, I don't think they go wide receiver. They could, but with Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore, the next fit is like Devonta Smith. Um, but I think they really want a quarterback. That's just. Every it just makes it sound like they just want a quarterback. So I don't know if Brady would necessarily want Mac Jones. 
Uh, you know what? Uh, I think. Mm, okay, I, I think I can work something here. Carolina takes Devonta Smith at eight and then goes and gets a quarterback in the second round. Or they'll trade back into the first round and go grab Davis Mills or Kellerman. That's what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. I just think if you're at that spot, you, you can't go Mac Jones. Like, I, I don't think Mac Jones, A, fits what Carolina is doing, and B, fits the eighth pick, especially if Devonta Smith is there at, at eight. I think I think he can. He fits in terms of the back passing game because they like to play from shotgun. They'll do, run a lot of empty sets, and it's a lot of quick passes, which is something a lot of timing stuff, which is something that Jones showed proficiency at. But they don't necessarily they they do isolate a lot of routes, and Jones was definitely the beneficiary of a lot of disguising and a lot of just pre-step motion that set up different routes with uh because of like rubs and such so the the interesting scenario i would put is you know would you not want to go attack tackle like slater there because i think slater you know that team always could use could use more offensive linemen they could i just think it matters it, who they value higher. I would imagine it probably be Slater over Smith, but I do think there are enough tackles in this class that you can find one in the third round that'll start for you. Because let's see, uh, you're pulling all these depth charts up now. Well, I mean, also if you're talking about the top of the second round, you're talking about like Cosme could fall there. Uh, Kevin Jenkins, Ted, uh, yeah, Jenkins, Taylor Mayfield, all yes. of them. It all works. There's a bunch of good, and then plus, you know, there's still a bunch of tackles. It's okay. not like they have Taylor Moten on one side, which good player, not a problem. Um, Kyle Elfline at guard, uh, Matt Paradis at center. That those all work. Then your left side is kind of weird because Greg. I'm not. Sh I Greg Little can start, but I. Definitely know you can do better than Greg Little. <laughs> True. And and again, but I do think you pointed out there are a bunch of good second round tackles that if you view Smith, which is the second of your three wide receivers, so much higher than the the Batemans of the world, I think you could definitely see them going with Smith and then taking a tackle in the second round. Where Cosme, who I think is a really good player, could be available. It's, it's a weird situation because they go wide receiver here. They might feel compelled to move up and draft uh, a quarterback at the end of the first round, which means if they were to find a tackle, it'd have to be in the third round, which I think is still possible. But wouldn't they have to use that third round pick to trade up into the first round? That too. So <laughs> then you're talking fourth round range. So you're talking like James Hudson, Deontay Smith, uh, oh, Deontay Smith would be a good fit, but I don't know if he makes it to the fourth round. Mm. You know what? I still like this plan, though. It's going to work. So you're going Devontae Smith. Be aggressive, but it's going to work. Okay. I get lucky because I took Penai Sewell at four. I get Justin Fields for eight. So yeah, I, I like the, the choice between me is Justin Fields and Kyle Pitts, just because I think Kyle Pitts is honestly my like fifth best player on the board. And for him to be here at eight is kind of remarkable, but I think between 
a quarterback and a really good pass catcher. Fields is honestly probably my third best quarterback. So for him to be falling here to eight is a miracle. Yeah, I got to go eight, Justin Fields. I think he provides so much more. Uh, the same situation you talked about with San Francisco with Fields to where if Bridgewater doesn't play well, you can just insert Fields into the starting quarterback job. Though I don't think Fields is like necessarily designed to have to be there early. Uh, yeah, he's a very good quarterback. So he uh, slides in here at eight. Going, uh, going to the other team that made the uh, 2015 Super Bowl. We got the Denver Broncos here at nine. Uh, they're a team that's been linked to a pass catcher where you only have one left of your top three. Are you, or top four, are you going with I don't that? mind linking to a pass catcher. You have Corlin Sutton, Jerry, Judy, Tim Patrick, and KJ Hamler as receivers, and you have Noah Fanta's tight end. So, like, I don't know how that makes sense to me. I don't know how adding Jamar Chase to that group necessarily, like, is so massive of an upgrade that it just, like, completely knocks the AFC West socks off. But... I think Denver is a good candidate for a tackle because they kind of fixed their cornerback needs with Darby and Kyle Fuller. And even if Darby is very much a inconsistent guy, Fuller is good. And you can deal with that because you have Bryce Callahan as well and Kareem Jackson as well. So I think you go offensive line here give Drew Luck even better of a chance to at least try and be good. If not, you have good infrastructure for the next quarterback. Um, Let's see. Pat Shermer. Uh, tackle, you're talking Rashawn Slater. Or Derisaw. Uh, I'm going to surprise you. Ooh. Tevin Jenkins at nine. Jenkins? I thought you were going to surprise me with Vera Tucker. Jenkins, wow. What is, uh, uh, talk to me about Telvin Jenkins. Okay, uh, Jenkins, he tested incredibly well at his pro day. By far one of the most competitively and physically tough offensive linemen in this class. He played at OSU, so they did a lot of, uh, or Oklahoma State University, not to be confused with the OSU. But um, I was going to say Oregon State. <laughs> <laughs> Irrelevant, no. Uh, uh, yeah, so they did a lot of uh, zone running with uh, Chuba Hubbard as their back, but uh, really, really sound in pass pro. He is really consistent at hitting his set points. He is good, got, has good use of hands, understands how to uh, – he has a really good understanding of how guys are going to try and win, and he seemingly is uh, – always has an answer and will just do it every single game. Um, he is – he generally displays a good anchor – he can be kind of susceptible to some long arm rushes, but you know, yeah, the best have good long arm rushes. What are you gonna do about it? Uh, <laughs> he, I think, will fit what Shermer wants in a tackle. When you have good film, you have a good pro day, 
you don't have to worry about potential length concerns because your big and you uh, your arm length was solid. There's usually a surprise offensive tackle that ends up in the or like early first round. Jenkins is a good player. Um, make uh, he would be someone I would guess could probably fall in the top fifteen. It might be an initial shock, and then you just think about it for like thirty seconds. You're like, ah, you know what? That kind of made sense. So yeah, uh, what, what he would would he be the blindside tackle for that Denver team? Uh, I thought they had someone there, but. Um, or would he be the long-term answer at the at the blindside tackle? Uh, he could. I think you just keep him at right tackle. Who do you have at left tackle? You have oh Garrett Bowles. You're good. Okay. But, yeah, they don't have a right tackle currently listed on there. So uh, Garrett Bowles, Tevin Jenkins on the other side uh, with Dalton Reisner, Lloyd Cushenberry, and Graham Glasgow. That's a winning offensive line. Yeah. Good morrow. Yes. So. Here's the thing. I really want to give this team Kyle Pitts. I think if you put... Uh, How many players do they need? They already have four. Yes, but I'm saying Kyle... Well, first of all, Kyle Pitts should not make it past nine. Kyle Pitts is a really good tight end. He does not deserve to be there past nine. Uh, spoiler alert, he wouldn't be selected at 10-2. The Cowboys wouldn't select a tight end that high, uh, especially with their pass catchers. I'm then torn between do I, I think they should go quarterback, but under my scenario, the only available quarterback in the top 10 would be Mac Jones. I'm leaning that way or one of the cornerbacks just because I think their offensive line is pretty good. I, I think they would be looking at Caleb Farley or Patrick Sertan at that rate. Well, I think Caleb Farley is pretty much out of the picture in the early first round, at least because of those back injuries. So True, true. The thing is, Denver's cornerback depth is incredible. Um, yeah. Kyle Fuller, Darby, Bryce Callahan, Michael Ojimadia, um, Duke Dawson. Uh, you know, but I also think that those are like the best players on my board. Like The only other guys I have are Micah Parsons, uh, who could be selected here, but I think is a little too high. Uh, I think if you're wanting to go defense, Jeremiah Wissacoromo Jeremiah makes sense here. Yeah. Banjo can use him as like a rover linebacker that connects to your safety, so that way whenever you drop in coverage, he's uh, he can kind of uh, be a good uh, – one of those guys who can carry those hook zones for you because you have Josie Jewell, uh, Alex Johnson as your in, in, uh, inside linebackers. I know, even with how good the front seven usually is, I know Vic Fangio values a really good coverage linebacker, and Owusu-Koromoa would work. You know what? I'm going to go. I'm going to go with the the offensive, the similar to you, but a different offensive lineman. I'm going to go Elijah Vera Tucker. Think very good tackle. Could play guard if you need him to. Could play inside. I think, given that team, and I agree with you, but I just think Vera Tucker is a very good is the better version of tight, or like not a better version, but can provide what Jenkins has, and especially if you have Garrett Bowles, he doesn't need to be the blindside guy. So, last pick, a pick that has no sentimentality to it at all: the Dallas Cowboys. 
no, 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 no. no we're going to be doing this non-biased, just completely off the cuff. Uh, <laughs> we talked about a lot of people that they could pick here. You still have some really good offensive linemen, but I think the choice here is probably leaning cornerback right now. At least with uh, J.C. Horn and Patrick Sertan still high Okay, up best the receiver is Chase. I still have Sleater on the board. Uh, I have Sertan on the board. Um, tricky. You still have Mac Jones on the board. I'm <laughs> just... <laughs> Just possible, throwing. definitely possible. It's definitely not like I saw Doug Nussmeyer at Kellermont's Pro Day or anything. I'm just saying. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, so, let's have some fun, okay? I think if this opportunity was presented to them, they'd be definitely considering Rashawn Slater or Patrick Sertan. But it's only right I stick to the brand. J.C. Horn, pick number 10 to the Cowboys. J.C. Horn. That's – so I'll start with this. Talk to me about what J.C. Horn does. Because we talked about him a couple weeks ago when we talked about defensive backs. What does J.C. Horn provide cornerback? Press coverage, mate. He comes to the line. He wants to beat, he wants to beat the ever-living crap out of you. He's gonna jam you. He's gonna he's gonna play tough with you through the stem of the route. He's gonna make sure that you're he's gonna make sure that you can feel it on your shoulders. You know, he wants to you he, he wants to harass you. But then his ball skills are um ball skills are a work in progress, but he does show the athletic ability to uh mat mat okay, match in zone coverage, mirror and man coverage. He display he displayed surprisingly good range in deep thirds of the field. Like there are definitely, you have to watch his 2019 Kentucky film. That is some of the most incredible, like zone, some of the most incredible zone coverage I think I've seen this draft cycle. Oh, 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 it was so good. But uh, yeah, he has really good range. He can overlap routes. He displays solid route recognition. And, but because of his good athletic ability, he has to transition quickness. Um, his ball skills took a step in the right direction this season. I would hope that continues because I know the Cowboys front office is very adamant that they find people who can uh, make interceptions. And yeah. I'm not really sure. I mean, certainly a good corner, don't get me wrong. I don't think there's any – there's not too much of a difference in terms of ball skills between the both of them, so – yeah. Uh, to me, the difference becomes like what we want versus what I think we'll get. I think if, if it was like my choice, I would pick JC Horn. But I think if I'm talking about the team, I'm going Patrick Sertan. Cause I think Patrick Sertan is the typical like Jerry Jones brand name pick. I think he, prov- he's, you know, he, he provides a very – he's a very good cornerback, and I'm not saying he wouldn't be worthy of a top-10 pick, but I think of the two, I think Patrick Sertain has the more Jerry Jones-esque abilities, and I think he'd fit well in the new uh, – I believe uh, – what's his name? The, the guy from Atlanta. Quinn. Yeah, the Dan Quinn defense. So, uh, yeah, give me a Sertain. You know, which, but it is – I think it comes down to – I don't think Darisaw is the type of cackle that the Cowboys would look for at this pick. And since I have Slater and Sewell above them, I think I would go a cornerback. 
the main like with Kyle Pitts being out of, still in my out of the top ten. I think. Okay, if Kyle Pitts made it to ten, I know for a fact Jerry Jones is calling in, saying Kyle Pitts no matter what. So you you think if because again I I. The problem is once you get past six, it's like Detroit just had a tight end. They wouldn't go for him. Justin Fields is there. The one where, well, I guess for you, Justin Fields was available at eight, but Carolina, one where it's like no, a thousand percent. But Justin Fields is there at eight, and I think they would a thousand percent go Justin Fields over Kyle Pitts. And then Denver has no fans, so they wouldn't go him at nine. Uh, Yeah, I don't. There, I mean, he gets there to ten. I think just based on that, I don't know. There are, there are always guys who you feel like fall slightly in the draft for little to no reason. And I think he could be that. But we'll see. It's, uh, it's definitely interesting. So giving a quick recap to everything we have so far, Aditya has Lawrence 1, Zach Wilson 2, Justin Fields 3, Trey Lance 4, Panay Sewell 5, Kyle Pitts 6, Jalen Waddle 7, Devonta Smith 8, uh, Tevin Jenkins, nine, and J.C. Horn, 10. Meanwhile, I have Lawrence, one, Wilson, two, Trey Lance, three, Panay Sewell, four, Rashawn Slater, five, Devonta Smith, six, uh, Jalen Waddle, seven, Justin Fields, eight, Elijah Vera Tucker at nine, and then Patrick Sertan at 10. Well, let's take that back. Hey, guys. Uh, this is Jackson several days later. Um, we were supposed to go off with this, uh, mock draft as normal. And then of course, uh, we recorded this over the weekend, but then on Monday, uh, Carolina decided to ruin the entire draft board and decided to trade for Sam Darnold. We, um, we'll come up with a proper, uh, analysis of the trade, both in this week's, uh, sports break podcast and next week's draft down, but uh, safe to say that trade decision has affected the next couple of picks on the mock draft. Uh, for sake of discussion, I have talked to Dithia and he's allowed me to make a, two quick adjustments to my board uh, from the first day. Uh, in these adjustments, Carolina will no longer be selecting Justin Fields at eight. Uh, Instead, they will pick the best pass catcher on the board, which is Kyle Pitts. So, yeah, now imagine Sam Darnold with uh, DJ Moore and uh, Christian McCaffrey and all the weapons that Carolina offense already has. And now I didn't Kyle Pitts as a tight end. That's going to be a very deadly option. Uh, And then... Because of that, uh, when it comes to pick up number nine, uh, the Broncos come in and see that somehow Justin Fields, uh, who many people is a top four player in this draft class, has fallen all the way down to number nine. Uh, They select him. Uh, This was honestly a possibility at that time, but knowing that Carolina was more draft needy than Denver, I picked them to get him over uh, the Broncos, but now that uh, Fields is available at nine, they get him, uh, pushing Elijah Vera Tucker out of nine, and spoiler alert, he wouldn't get drafted by Dallas at 10. Uh, So yeah, to quick summarize, that means that instead of the original draft order, which had 
uh, Justin Fields going eight and Elijah Vera Tucker going nine. Now it's Kyle Pitts goes to number eight. Justin Fields now slips to nine to go to the Broncos to be the, I guess, Drew Locke replacement in Denver. And Elijah Vera Tucker is still on board outside of the top ten. Uh, thank you all for listening to this. Back to the conclusion of this episode. Uh, who of your draft board, who is the, who do you think is the surprise, like guy who fell out of the top 10? Rashawn Slater. Uh, Jamar Chase, I think. Jamar uh, Chase, yeah. Productions there. He had a good enough pro day. Him going out of top 12 would be music to Eagles fans, which is definitely what I am shooting for these days. Apparently. Well, yeah, we both, we both have Jamar Chase out of our top 10 and given New York's signings, I would be very surprised if he gets drafted at 11. So I feel like Philadelphia, again, they trade down and luck into Jamar Chase again. <laughs> I think, I mean, and granted, I think that's just the nature. Yeah, of see, here's the thing. They're going to luck into Jamar Chase and then maybe draft like Rashad Bateman and be like Rashad Bateman was like on our board above him. Like, yeah, that's, that's what, well, like, I love Rashad Bateman. Don't get me wrong, but like Jamar Chase is better. <laughs> Jamar Chase. Yeah. And the other thing is Jamar Chase uh, will get selected at 12, not do much. Uh, Rashad Bateman will get drafted by another team, do better. And everyone's like, man, we should have had Rashad Bateman. No, it's because your team can't develop wide receivers. Well, I mean, to be fair, if a team later is going to have a better quarterback than Jalen Hurts. So, yeah, well, uh, do do you think, and we'll talk about this more next week, do you think there's a possibility that Philadelphia goes a quarterback at 12? They showed interest in Wilson once it became pretty clear that Wilson was going to be drafted into that. So, yeah, you don't think they have interest in any of the other top four? Any of the other top five, I guess? I don't think they have. I mean, I guess not. I mean, I mean, I get the idea that if, if you want to make the point that they could trade up number four and get that per- whoever is there at four – you could, but it's well, pretty clear that they wanted Wilson. So. Well, no, I make the argument that, you know, we both have Mac Jones available, and he's going to be available probably for a little bit in the draft. Uh, let's say that somehow Fields or Lance falls out to 12. If you're Philadelphia, you're going for to, to select Fields or Lance, right? Oh, yeah, that's an overrated. Yeah, which, again, I don't know if that helps a lot because you just wasted a second-round pick on Hurts then. Oh, yeah. You know, sometimes you, you feel like you can never really overvalue the quarterback position until Philadelphia made it a thing that they overvalue the quarterback position by saying we produce backup quarterbacks like nobody else in the country. And then yeah. that, you, you, now, now they're here. They had a they had a fine quarterback in Carson Wentz and basically chased him out. Of well, it's like we produce backup quarterbacks. Great, yeah, because your starting quarterback's so awful that the backups get time. So yeah, that's uh, that's what we're looking like. Uh, any other thoughts about the draft pro days this week before we turn off about some of your favorite pro days we saw this week? Um, My favorite story was the whole uh, Najee Harris drove like 13 hours just to watch his teammates pro days. Cause that, I, that's actually really cool. It was just really funny. We were at work and we were, <laughs> we were talking about, they're like, Hey, yo, you guys can talk about something else, right? You don't have to just keep repeating this over and over again. <laughs> Well, it's, what's, what I find it funny, because I've driven that. I've driven to the Alabama from Dallas, and it is just a 
boring drive once you hit like the middle of Louisiana. It's just nothing. Yeah. So I can imagine a guy who's late for something, not working out, just having to drive through that. It's it must not be fun. But yeah, uh, I think Pitts and to a lesser extent, I think a lot of the wide receivers really help themselves in the pro days, though. I think it's going to be funny to see if some of these pro days, not necessarily were manufactured, but were like upped a little bit compared to normal because they weren't. Okay, so here's the thing usually, right? This is kind of something that people either forget or don't realize in the process. On days of combine, especially when they moved everything to prime time now, it's all you wake up early in the morning, you get your medicals done, you start you basically start interviewing with teams at like nine o'clock in the morning. So basically from nine to let's say four or five, it's just interviews and they're just trying to pick you apart mentally, understand what's going on, uh understand what um you know, understand either they try get a feel for you culture wise, they might they'll go through your game film and be like, Okay, what happened here? What happened here? Why did you get B or why was this uh, you know why was this rep a success? Um, stuff like that. Um, but by the time you actually get to the drills, you're already exhausted. Mentally and physically. So that's why combine times generally tend to be slower. It's not necessarily that laser timing uh, is all that more accurate it's just what or like because it's laser timing the times are slower it's just the amount of stuff that you're doing on at the combine is significantly more than what you're doing at the pro day you come to pro day you get there you kind of sign up you're with your teammates and then you do all your athletic testing and then it's position drills and that's it you're there's you even especially now you're like rarely talking to the athletes unless you're uh trying to teach them a drill to do um you don't if you're going to talk with them you talk with them after the pro day so completely different environment um there you can always i guess be hesitant about a pro day pro day numbers just being up in order to boost a player's stock but it's pretty consistent across the board that this year the athletes are really good at pro days and so you can definitely attribute it to not having uh all that you know uh interviewing and stuff during the combine and then also Teams have bring their own guys to go and time everything. There's no, there's really it, whatever time they get on their stopwatch is the time that they write. They're not gonna write uh, what the official time was at the end of the event. Yeah, and I, and I guess you know as we talked about when we talked about the combine itself, like the combine is only a, in pro, pro days are only a portion of the evaluation. They still highly covet the the tape so whether a guy is four three or four four you you're know, just the, hoping that they come from your priors <laughs> true and you, and you hope that they showcase the abilities that you want them to showcase that you see on the tape mm-hmm. so uh anyway thank you all next week we'll go through picks 11 through 20 uh and i guess answer the big question of if the patriots have mac jones available at 15 are they in the Mac Jones era now of football? Uh, anyway, this is the Draft Down Podcast. My name is Jackson King. My name is Aditya Prabhakar. And thank you all so much for uh, listening to this. Thanks and gig em.